So an impression is left every time we have a threatening experience, any experience that's difficult. And so too, from the moment we're born, when we have experiences that are uh, really advantageous, that make us feel really secure and really uh, connected and safe and... uh, uh, powerful, then we too have this uh, change in the body and in the mind. Uh, and the real key survival area of the mind, which has its own memory system, the amygdala has its own memory system, and it remembers everything that's present during a frightening or during a a wonderful, advantageous experience. And it recalls every single thing that's present during those experiences, even the things that had nothing to do with the threat. If we're uh, having a bike accident, we might not only remember the images that occur when we go over the handlebars, but we might also remember what day of the week it is, or which street we're on, or what time of day, or what uh, uh, sounds we were hearing. And all those sensations will be stored. And in the future, any of those sensations that occur during a difficult experience can trigger a associative arising of stress. And this is very important in Buddhism, in Buddhist practice, spiritual practice, any kind of uh, uh, practice. As we move through life, we make contact, what the Buddha called fasa, with different things in the world. And a lot of the time, we have no reaction But sometimes we make contact with things that are either kind of neutral or kind of uh, not so terrible, but we have this uh, arising of real discomfort, real, uh, real disagreeable states. Or we can suddenly be really, really attracted to people for seemingly no reason. What this is, is the associative part of the brain. That's something about the present has triggered, reminds us of really emotionally powerful experiences from the past. And the first thing that happens when this contact with something that reminds us of a vulnerable time in the past or something that reminds us of a really powerful, wonderful time of the past is a physical, somatic experience, because that's the first thing that the associative memory, the amygdala, has control over. Before anything else, when we make contact with something that reminds us of vulnerability, or loss, or sadness, or lack of control, the first thing that happens is we go into what's known as the startle 
reflex. We start, the stomach gets tight, the jaw locks, the shoulders get tight. Everything starts to clench, like we're about to be in an accident. If we see something that reminds us of something that was a wonderful experience, we might suddenly do the exact opposite. We have the opposite of the startle response. The body relaxes. The breath gets less tight and constricted. The shoulders relax. There's this feeling of ah. So, this gut feelings, this is what the Buddha called Vedana. And it's a very important process to understand that before we have any thought, before we have any additional uh, cognition, in life we're walking around and instantaneously all the time in each situation before we have any thought, criticism, story, anything at all, there's the mind looking around, making contact with things around us, and then um, gut feelings arise. And they condition us as to how we feel about each experience. Now sometimes an experience can be pretty bad in and of itself, and we'll just go normally into uh, fight, flight, or freeze. But so many times in life we're encountering experiences and we're overreacting because we, uh, we're bringing the past into the present. There's an old, uh, this is all, by the way, uh, uh, wonderfully been verified by so many uh, present-day <coughs> neuroscientists. Joseph Ledoux, especially who's head of NYU, does a great talk on this, as does uh, Antonio Damasio, two of the greatest living neuroscientists, like to talk about how the body, in conjunction with the emotional mind, conditions us to how we experience every situation in our lives, and how much of that is conditioned by the past. I'll give you an example. Uh, when I, after dinner, I went back to my room, and the plan was that I was going to uh, take a shower and, and have time to uh, review my talk, and uh, it, I was going to be all wonderfully clean for you, and... Uh, <laughs> uh, in a, you know, the whole fresh, like, uh, feeling that you get from taking a shower after you do yoga. And um, I went into the room, and it was freezing cold. So, so that's an experience. And if it's just that, there's like, oh, okay, it's cold. This kind of sucks, but that's it. I just can't, my, I'm not going to get to do what I want, my preferences not going to get mad, I'm just going to have to uh, lie under the covers and uh, stay warm and, and uh, just trust that later on the, the heat will come back on. And so that would be it. It would be disappointment, got it. But as it so happens, um, the mind didn't stop there. Oh no. <laughs> the mind feeling this discomfort that arises at the cold 
there's a lot of uh, past that comes in when I'm cold, when I don't get what I want. Uh, I remember there's a, a I have a, a long history, as everybody does, with situations where we don't get what, our, what we want, where we feel vulnerable and uh, what happened uh, I could remember after sitting with it is I've had all these experiences in life, you know, uh, when you're stuck in a house with the uh, boiler that doesn't work and there's that. But then even further, there was a time when I was really poor after college and we spent all the uh, the rent money on drugs. So we were in a freezing place on Avenue B in the 1980s and we were cold and miserable and, you know, basically little drug addicts freezing our asses off. But then even further back, there was a memory of my father, who was an alcoholic, uh, deciding that I wasn't uh, macho enough and he was going to teach me how to ski, even though I didn't want to learn how to ski. I was an I was a neurotic little New Yorker who wanted nothing to do with flying down hills on skis. So and really early in the morning, in the winters, he would drag me kicking and screaming out of bed and refuse to listen to uh, my, my uh, uh, dislike, <laughs> to say the least. And he, he forced me to go and drive with him for two hours up to a freezing mountain where I would have to pretend to like skiing, or he, it, it would be far more hell to pay. So to this day, uh, being stuck in cold brings back an entire lifetime memory of not being in control, not being able to have what I want, uh, being vulnerable, being uh, not in a good place. And so when I experience a cold room, other people might walk into a cold room and just be cold, but for me, it, it brings a Vedana that doesn't just go away. It stays for a while. I also have that, by the way, with boats. My dad built boats in our living room, and uh, <laughs> he did. It was completely insane. He, he had this story about, you know, he wanted, he wanted so desperately to be a, a macho, outdoorsy kind of guy and everything he did just was disastrous at it but he was clever and he could build things so he built a boat uh, unfortunately it was made out of um, stuff that didn't float okay so that would be like uh, <laughs> really so we took this, uh, it was a catamaran that he built in parts and like with a plank and we brought it and it was made out of like, um, I don't know, it was, it was like some kind of paper mache I think covered with like uh, some kind of plastic sealant, uh, I don't remember what they call it, but fiberglass. fiberglass. We had a fiberglass fucking catamaran made in the living room on, on like uh, 99th Street on West Side Drive. And so he brings it to Long Island Sound. He forces us to get in, and we get about 50 feet out, and we fucking sink. And we're calling for the, you know, for a Coast Guard and pleading to be rescued. And, and like, people are pointing at us because it's painted, like, my dad painted it house paint, you know, green, and it's, it's a disaster. And uh, 
So to this day, so I, you know, I meet people. You meet people, and they're like, oh, what do you like doing? And, and they can say anything. But if they say they like sailing, immediately, <laughs> <laughs> son of a fucking bitch, <laughs> fucking Nazi. <laughs> so, that uh, that feeling of like being a kid stuck with uh, you know. Uh, Captain Ahab dragging me into the into the ocean, you know, to drown, like, comes up. It's no longer about this person. So what happens when Vedana arises, when we bring... Uh, the Buddha cleverly said that Vedana is the way that karma, the past, arises in the present first. It literally, when we're bringing something in from the past, the first way we experience it is in the body. So we get these reactions... And then what happens is there's a big new change in the story. Everything up to this point is what the Buddha called the first arrow. There's nothing that can be done about it. I go into a cold room, I can't do anything about that, and I have this gut reaction based on the past. This, is, this reaction is pre-conscious, it's faster than my thinking. I have no control over it. The body, the way it reacts to the present, is completely beyond control. So these are the first arrows. As the Buddha said um, in the First Noble Truth, in life we're going to have a lot of first arrows that we can't do anything about. We're going to grow old. We're going to experience sickness. We're going to experience death. We're going to experience losses. We're going to experience separations from people and things we love. We're going to be stuck a lot of times with situations, cold rooms that we don't love. And my favorite line is, we're not always going to get what we want. Literally, 2,500 years old, the Buddha says, you're not always going to get what you want. Right? So... Our preferences don't always get met, and we all have really deep gut feelings about when we don't get our preferences met, because it reminds us of those times when we didn't feel loved in childhood, when our caretakers didn't uh, see our needs, when we didn't feel truly secure or uh, part of or wanted, all those times, sometimes just the feeling of I'm not being, I'm not getting what I want, uh, this creates this whole conditioned state that stays in the body, a whole lifetime of feelings about, you know, shit, I never get what I want. That just creates a startle reflex and we're just in it. So, so far there's nothing that we can do. It's All of this is an immediate reaction. But at this point, the first arrow stops, and we have the second arrow, which is the stuff in life that we actually, the unnecessary suffering. What happens is when we feel unconsciously sometimes, or consciously other times, sometimes we're unaware of just how much tension there is. Sometimes we do feel it. But what arises is first what the Buddha called craving, tanha. And that is, I don't fucking like this. This fucking sucks. This is fucking a raw deal. And from that 
Craving is, I've got to get something that will make this go away. I don't want to feel this, and I've got to have something that will make this stop. And all of this is, now we've moved from the right hemisphere of the brain to the left hemisphere. The right hemisphere is about feeling the body, about all the contact we have, but the left hemisphere is the can-do mind. So, did I hear that somebody's suffering here? Did I feel a tight stomach and a locked jaw? Well, that's, you called me. I'm coming in to the rescue, and I'll tell you exactly what to do. This person sucks. This situation sucks. All I need to do is complain, bring it up to the, to the chief. I've got to, you know, get to the bottom of it. We'll take care of this. Because the key underlying belief of the left hemisphere is that there should be a way to live life where there is no discomfort or pain or suffering at all. That's the beauty of it is, is when there's a wonderful story in a neuroscience, one of the neuroscience books I read that when people have uh, strokes in their right hemisphere and they're just left with the left hemisphere, the language conceptual part, they turn into the most overwhelming optimists, can do, nothing is wrong, there was this judge who had a stroke in his right hemisphere, and from that point on, he never allowed enough, anybody to go to jail, no matter how dangerous or violent they were, because he was just convinced that this time they were going to turn it around. This time, you know, yes, he's, he's killed 20 people, but this time he's really... They couldn't, they finally had to remove him because the left, <laughs> the left hemisphere of the brain just is, no! There's no reason we should ever have suffering. We should be immune to pain. We should get that, that shot that makes us so that pain and suffering never has to happen. Fuck the first noble truth. It's not true. I don't have to grow old. I should never get sick. I should never be disappointed. It's all unfair and just let me figure it out and I will you know, make it go away. And so from this kind of reaction, we suddenly are doing a number of things. We're pointing away from the underlying gut feelings, the underlying Vedana, that's where the past is coming into the present, and we're pulling away into this isn't right, this is, that person really sucks. It's not that if I meet somebody who sails boats, the left hemisphere comes up, I shouldn't have to be around fucking sailors. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? I'm a, I'm, I'm a fucking Buddhist teacher. I should, fuck this. Who brought this fucking sailor fucking here? It doesn't want to feel the discomfort. It doesn't want to go into it and return to all those associations and unpack it and understand what's creating. Um, and of course, a lot of the times this happens when we go into retreats. I have a whole history of just going into 
outrage on retreats because I started, you know, I, <laughs> I went on one. This was in the 1990s. I, I was at the time practicing in Zen, and uh, they told me that they were going to ring the bell at three in the morning. And my mind got stuck in it because it reminded me, of course, of my dad waking me up against my will to do one out of a million things. But I'm lying there and it's 1.30 in the fucking morning and I'm just launching into speeches in my mind about what the fuck is the matter with these Zen people? Why can't they let me sleep in? This is unfair. I'm going to... This is a totally shitty spiritual path. (laughs) (laughs) This is really a stupid, stupid spiritual path. Like, if they let me... I would fix it for them. <laughs> I would so be able to let them know exactly where they went wrong. And it started with the three in the morning fucking bells. <laughs> and I'm literally up all night in that story, never once going into the body, feeling just, okay, there's this associative experience going on. What's asking to be felt? What's asking to be acknowledged? I went on another one. I went on a Tibetan retreat because I tried every single. I tried even. Uh, I did. Oh, I've done everything. Kirtan, wonderful. You know, you're singing, sitting around with, with people singing. <laughs> in Sanskrit. <laughs> it's great, you know. But I, like, uh, uh, so I was there though in the Tibetan thing. And I'm at, it's a, it's a uh, weekend-long thing, and the food comes out, and it's all meat. I haven't eaten meat since I'm 16 years old. At this point, I'm in my 30s, and I'm like, I'm like, I can't eat anything. And they're like, well, you should have seen the note at the bottom where it said we, we, we serve traditional Tibetan food. In Tibet, they don't actually do the veggie thing because in Tibet there's no... <laughs> and I'm like sitting there not being able to eat the entire retreat and launching into invectives about Tibetans. <laughs> you know, people who've been kicked out of their homeland are trying to bring a spiritual practice to us, but no, my mind is going into outrage. I simply don't want to feel... They, because of course, being a young vegetarian, there was all times in my life when my parents would would try to force me to eat meat. So I have this whole history of if people serve meat and nothing else, that not only are they not seeing me, but they're literally like trying to kill me. Literally, that's what it feels like to me. They're trying to kill me. They don't understand. How dare they? You know, how dare they not change their national palate for me? <laughs> how fucking dare they? So we, uh, we can bring, when we experience um, a, our preferences not being met, we can bring this entire history along with all the times when we felt vulnerable younger in life and we didn't get our needs met and our parents didn't see our needs or didn't accept or didn't connect with us or we felt alone or we felt different from other people and we bring that in. But this story that, no, all I should be able to do is 
get something. I should be able to get pleasures or get... Uh, I should be able to change everything around me so that this never happens. And so what happens is we don't ever give the opportunity to literally go in and move into this underlying process that's going on, calling out for our attention. And so much of the beauty of uh, these retreats is, well, hopefully we're not going through too many issues where you know, we're, uh, we're uh, experiencing too much uh, dukkha vedana, underlying discomfort because of something in the presence reminded us of a past experience. Hopefully we'll have enough of it that we can really begin to examine this process. In our normal lives, in our, in our, in our one-bedroom apartments, if we're lucky enough in New York, or, you know, the place we share, we still have these rooms, our rooms, where everything is the way we want. In New York, we can get everything we want. You know, today, I'm, I'm going to have, you know... Uh, uh, Korean food today and sushi tomorrow and I'm going to have yada 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 Thursday and I'm going to watch this show and I'm going to have exactly uh, this is my the kind of uh, non-dairy milk that I have <laughs> <laughs> and I don't ever have the soy because soy is bad I actually have a you know they um Fennel seed milk. <laughs> I mean, friends invite us over, you know, but like, <coughs> I hope you have fennel seed milk, right? <laughs> oh, don't worry, I'll bring it over. And it's okay, we'll bring over, you know, our fennel seed, you know. We have, we all, we all have our preferences. We all have the things, and we have all these preferences, and we get everything just so, so that we don't have to feel discomfort, so that we can continue this illusion that there's such a thing as life without pain, without discomfort, without suffering. And every time we do experience it, it means there's something wrong. It doesn't mean, oh yes, this is life. This is what <laughs> happens in life. The things that we get bent out of shape that cause us stress would make, you know, our ancestors 10,000 years ago, really? <laughs> really? You don't have chamomile tea and this is the reaction? I'm fucking being chased by a fucking elephant. <laughs> I'm being chased by a fucking elephant. You don't have your chamomile tea. You're just as worked up as I am. <laughs> so... We we tend to create these lives where we don't have to we don't have to experience and then from that the story becomes the suffering grows. We're now fully into the second arrow. First, there's just craving to get it away, to get rid of it, to not have to experience it. We crave distractions. We crave whatever. We crave some way not to have to feel this. We go. The next part is we go into the full outrage of clinging, where we turn it into a whole uh, worldview. And the Buddha said there's four kinds of clinging. We add clinging or craving, uh, you know, or just reaching out for 
some central pleasure that we can hold on to for dear life so that we won't have to ever experience this again. Or we might cling to um, uh, uh, views and opinions. We start just bombarding, this is wrong. This is just totally wrong. This is just so fucking wrong. I'm a Buddhist teacher here. I'm going to give a Dharma talk, and it's cold, and I can't take my shower, and this is just, this is just shows how little respect Buddhism has these days, and where's my microphone? <laughs> <laughs> so we can go into that, or we can go into um, uh, a clinging to our rituals. The only way we can deal with discomfort is by doing something that gets us out. So we cling to, you know, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. If I can't have my, my booze, I'm going to, the only thing I know uh, what else to do is uh, I have to um, uh, watch TV. i got to watch Breaking Bad. Or, or I've got to, uh, I, uh, you know, I've got to go to the gym and I've got to get on the Stairmaster for half an hour, because that's the only way I can deal with this. I can't be with this feeling. I can't be with it. Or, the biggest one is Sakayaditi, which means we add a story about ourselves. All else fails. It means I'm a victim. I'm the one. I'm the one. <laughs> I'm the one. <laughs> I'm the one who doesn't get his chamomile tea at night. <laughs> I'm the one. I'm the one who misses the train. I'm the one who who uh, has to sit next to the 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 person who breathes loudly in the meditation hall. I'm the one who who has to sleep in the room with the person who snores. I'm the one who. Uh, you know, uh, fill it in, fill in the blank. So we're all at some point in this retreat going through, I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the one who's suffering. I'm the one who's, you know, and if sometimes if the, we go through a period where we can't settle down and we're uncomfortable and there's pain, then it's I'm the one who's uncomfortable and has pain. We immediately, uh, this part, clinging, turns universal experiences into autobiographies, to I'm special, I'm the one who was never loved, I'm the one who, uh, I must have done something terribly, terribly wrong that my room is cold. Hmm. So, we're further and further away now from the real truth which is there was a, a situation that we didn't like. I went and there wasn't any ice cream. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> what? All I wanted was the ice cream. I don't want to eat this salad tonight. I want fucking ice cream. <laughs> Fuckers. Fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> And we're further and further away from just that feeling of, oh, this is not getting what I want. I remember, you know, down in there, there's all those times when, in life, where 
I wanted ice cream and I didn't get it. But I'm not going to feel any of that. I'm just going to go into the outrage. And so on and on, we get caught up about the present, the situation, lathering it up with stories of how wrong it is and get pulled further and further away from the emotional truth, the process of, of karma and Vedana as you know, a full history of life playing out. You can see this a lot of times with people who go out uh, with somebody for a, a week, dating no, don't, nobody dates anymore. People have sex now. Uh, they, I don't. What do they do? They 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 text. <laughs> so they, what are you up to? Mm, I don't know. What are you up to? That's to, in my time. That was a whole phone call where you, you know you like you want to get a date, or you know yeah, have to work through fear. Now it's like, what are you up to? And the next thing you know, they're like, yeah, we had sex. <laughs> really? That's all it takes. I, I was born 20 years too young because today, oh, you just have to raise nothing, and that's it. That's your way of saying, yeah, you know, come over, have sex. I don't know what any of this is about. I'm just like, this has nothing to do with anything. It's just a, this is called like a, a, uh, an aside. It's an aside. So, uh, so we're turning to the Dharma. <laughs> so we, have, we have an aside. We're back to the Dharma. And so we, uh, we, uh, so then you, the, the person, they break up after a week and, and, and he's distraught. He is distraught. Fred, what's the matter? We broke up. Oh, that's terrible. I didn't know you were dating anyone. We were together for two days. Well, we had sex twice. <laughs> well, that's nice, but you seem you seem completely destroyed. And what's not seen, of course, is this person is completely now gone into Sakaya Devi. All the stories. I'm the one. I never get what I want. People leave me. I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me, and I'll never get anything. And of course, it's the entire history of rejections and abandonments that have attached to this two-night liaison that doesn't work out. So we live caught up in these present events, not seeing these huge... We're seeing the tip of the iceberg, but not the huge... Uh, mass beneath it, which is the past. As they say in uh, psychoanalysis, if it's hysterical, it's historical. If the reaction doesn't let go, if we stay stuck in the diatribe, the story, it means that it's no longer about the present experience. It's about a whole history that's just begging in the body to be witnessed. But the more we stay in the thoughts, the more we stay in the mind, the more that huge history of feelings and emotional energies remain unseen. And so we walk around carrying this emotional stuff and then pissed off because, you know, this person is difficult or that person, you know 
doesn't want to go out on a third date, or this roommate leaves their towel down, and it just feels so fucking much. So fucking much. And this brings us to the final part. All of this, by the way, is the Buddhist theory of how the suffering arises. We have contact, we have body feelings, we go into a craving for the discomfort to go away, focusing on the the trigger not noticing the body anymore. From craving, we have clinging, the whole story, the whole narrative, especially the, the there's something wrong with me, there's something unfair about life. And then the final piece in the puzzle is what the Buddha called becoming. We want to get something, a new entire state, a new entire identity. Because clearly there's something wrong with us. We're missing something. We weren't born with all the pieces. We need some bit of knowledge, something, just to make it so that we never have to suffer again, because clearly we're being picked on. Clearly we wouldn't be feeling this much pain if uh, if we were okay. So this whole agenda leads to this constantly trying to become. We, when I when I can truly get to the end of this Buddhist thing. <laughs> Certainly, they're, at some point this weekend, they're going to give the key <laughs> so that I never have to suffer again. The key so that I never have to experience loneliness, sadness, pain, uncomfortable feelings. It all comes to a boil there. That's where the second arrow has really consumed us. We're totally now no longer aware of the body. We're lost in a complete story that's so far away from what's actually happening, from the truth that we don't, we don't even know what to do. We get caught up in plans and schemes and uh, trying to acquire something in our spiritual practices, in our lives, trying to get something so that we won't have to experience any of the these difficult experiences. So the key is coming back again and again and again and again and going back to what the Buddha said is the weak link in the chain. Right up to the point where there's that discomfort, that real agitation, that state of, I don't like this. That's, that is the moment. That's the, that's the point where we can actually nip suffering in the bud. Rather than trying to run <coughs> away through diversions or adding stories or looking for solutions outside of ourselves or trying to become someone different... The Buddha turned towards discomfort and he said, I'm going to investigate you. I'm going to see what makes you work. I'm going to really, really, really go into this. And he stayed with it in the present moment as it played out in the body. And as he did this process, he metaphorically, it's often said that he saw all his past lives. I would contend Really what he saw is all the times in his own life when suffering had arose. 
and he's seeing the train going back. And so what I did when I was in the room, as I was lying there and I was just shivering and I just felt the contraction in my shoulders, and I just said, I'm just going to be with this and I'm just going to ask it, what needs to be felt right now? What needs to be felt? I saw the story about, you know, the room should be warm, but I let it go. And I just went into the body. I'm just, what needs to be felt right now? And immediately what came up was just this overall, like, feeling of powerlessness that etched back so far to times in the past when I've been, you know, uh, in situations where I had no control and uh, it pulled me back then further, and then I finally got to that that place. I'm a seven-year-old. My dad's dragging me out of bed at four in the morning by my ankles, and I'm kicking and screaming, and it's cold, and I don't want to be there, and I don't want to be feeling that. And when I got that, when that feeling arises and I can see it, then I can actually turn towards this entire lifetime of feeling vulnerable, of feeling um, not in control at times, and I can hold it in my awareness, and I can turn to it and I can say, it's okay, it's okay, we're together now, nobody's dragging us around, nobody's consigning us, I'm not vulnerable anymore, I'm not unsafe, I'm a, an adult guy, it's just a cold room and this will pass and we'll get through it together. And suddenly when I drop all these stories and all this, this, you know, it should be different, it should be otherwise, the room shouldn't be cold and I just go into the actual experience and feel what's present and ask what needs to be felt, that's where suddenly all of the discomfort that's unbearable is alleviated and it's just me, a guy who has a lot of stuff built up about being cold. And I felt it and I stayed with it and I held it and I worked with it. And then soon enough, the room didn't even feel that cold because I wasn't fixating on the external trigger. I was going into the body. The room didn't get any warmer. I just wasn't... The, the whole thing about craving is it pinpoints us to the thing that's triggering us rather than going into all the old feelings that have been triggered by the external. So... When we pull our minds away from, oh shit, you know, this isn't right, this isn't the way I want, this is, is, isn't on, and I go into the body, and I stay with it, and I feel all that tension, and I see the mind jumping about, and I feel all the, the I see how much the, the, the brain wants to add a story, and I just stay present with that, and I keep on asking, what needs to be felt here, what needs to be felt? then I can really, really, really begin to unpack and really begin to nurture emotional states that have never truly been cared for. So much of, in life when we, uh, when uncomfortable situations happen, we 
and the Vedana happens, the gut feelings arise, we immediately look for something to, to escape as soon as possible, the TV set, alcohol, uh, you, you know, doing anything to make it go away. So once again, this entire feeling history is just left in the body, uh, triggered, triggered, not successfully. There's only two ways we can de-trigger these states and resolve them. The first is through the long process of creating a safe container in our own practice. This is the internal part, what we do here, where we can hold our pain, our sadness, everything that arises, and we can investigate it rather than running from it again and again and falling into the story of, oh, it's this fault, it's that fault, it's that fault, and we can hold this comfort. And the second way is when we return to the world with our really, really close spiritual wise friends, we can talk about our entire emotional experience and create a safe container externally where all of the feelings can be held, not run from. Not, we, don't have to, we don't have to avoid them. We don't have to shun them. We don't have to get lost in obsessions. We don't have to get caught up in diatribes. and We don't have to turn everything into an autobiography. We don't have to do that. We can just again and again return to the feeling in the present. The body is the gateway to healing. And when we go into the body, we find that there's no narrative there. There's no story. There's no, you know, I'm a failure. I've done something wrong. I'm a victim. I'm a this, I'm a that. All there is, is right now, there's suffering. That's really when we can begin to really, really truly heal in this practice. I'm not saying that in times in our life we haven't been victimized. We all have, I'm sure, experienced really, really difficult scenarios at the hands of other people. But right now, during this time we have together, none of that will happen. You're all safe. And so together we can actually begin to turn towards the feelings that remain, we can begin to give them the attention that they've been crying out for. We begin, we can begin to uh, find a way to create that safe container that we've been longing for all of our lives. So I thank you for listening. We have time for.